James H. Wilson was promoted and placed over the 3rd Cavalry Division in the Union Army. Now, you may not be an expert on military tactics, neither am I, but one responsibility of a cavalry division is to go ahead of the infantry. Horses are, after all, faster than footmen. And as they go ahead of the infantry, they are responsible for leaving sentries along the road. And the role of those sentries was to warn the infantry if the Confederates were advancing toward them. The cavalry, you know, kind of leaves these guys behind as sort of a, a warning system for the infantry that are coming behind. But General Wilson was new to the job. He didn't have a lot of battle experience. And in his advance to take Richmond in May of 1864, he forgot to leave sentries behind. And that failure, that simple error, ended up being very costly. The Union infantry were surprised by the Confederates. They were forced off the road into woods and dense brush so that the battle would eventually be called the Battle of the Wilderness. Neither force could easily see their enemies or advance with all the brush and the trees. Friendly fire was common, and in the end, neither side really won. Everybody lost that battle. General Wilson's error that day, and a few others later in his career, leaves his name somewhat lesser known in American history. He's not considered a great leader. You see, General Wilson made a fundamental leadership error. And it's not an uncommon error, especially among the inexperienced. It's a leadership failure that I've committed multiple times before, even as your pastor. And here's the failure. A common leadership failure is this, being more concerned with the destination than with the path to get there. Over the next nine weeks or so, we're going to be studying the life of King Solomon, David's son and the third king of Israel. And from Solomon's life, we're going to learn what it looks like to be a godly leader. Or to state it more descriptively, we're going to learn what it means to lead like Jesus. And you may come in here this morning and think, well, this nine-week sermon series has nothing to do with me then. I'm not a leader. Maybe you're young and inexperienced. Maybe you're still in school. You haven't been placed in a position of authority or leadership yet. Or maybe you're retired and you think... Thankfully, leadership is behind me. I'm done with all that. I, I, I'm not, I don't have to put up with that anymore. Or maybe when you look at your gifts, your talents, your temperament, you think, I'm just not leadership material. I'm just an ordinary Christian. I serve God. I love others, but I'm not a leader. Well, I'm here this morning to disagree. If you trust and follow Jesus, you have been called into a life of leadership. Maybe not an office of leadership, maybe not a position of leadership, but you've been called into a life of leadership. And I'm going to try to prove it to you because this is where the whole sermon series comes from. First, when Jesus exchanged his life for yours, you were adopted into an ancient royal family. You became a son of God who is the king of the earth. You're now part of a royal family. Early in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Greece, he said this. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he was cut off from God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? 
so that we who trust Christ could be included in the family. We could be adopted into the family. And what is this family into which we've been adopted? The family of the king. We have royal blood by merit of our union with Jesus. Paul goes on in the next chapter in Ephesians. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us where? With him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where's God sitting, the Father? Where's God the Father sitting right now? In heaven? And what is he seated upon? A throne. And who is seated next to him at his right hand? So when he says you, by merit of your union with Jesus, you are seated with me in Christ in the heavenly places, he is saying something about your status in creation, in the world. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul tells us that one day you and I will be judges of the world. We will even judge angels. So we are part of a royal family. One day when Jesus comes back, you will function as a ruler and judge over creation. Yes, you. Every one of us. And that means that Jesus intends for each of us to live out our royal identity in some way, shape, or form where we live. It doesn't mean that every Christian should be a leader in business or government or even in the church. So what does it mean? Our royal family has a royal calling to bring the rulership of God to bear on earth. Why were Adam and Eve created and put on the earth to serve as vice regents under the king, God? To serve and care for the world so that God's will was done. And as we have been redeemed by Christ, we've been brought into that same kind of responsibility The world in which we inhabit, we exist to bring about the rulership of God in the here and now. So in today's text, King David is about to die. We did 2 Samuel last year. We heard kind of about uh, David's kingship. And if you got Mary Frances' email and you've done your reading uh, thus far, because I'm not going to be preaching every text in 1 Kings, so if you read along with us, you'll keep up with the story. But if you've done your reading, you know that at this point in his life, David is a shriveled old man. He's not lost his mind, though, and he's certainly not lost his love for God. He's still David, a man after God's own heart, but he's just getting weak. And David, in this moment of weakness, has a new competitor. Yet another one of his sons in chapter 1 makes a play for the throne. It's kind of like Absalom all over again, but not quite as bad, and we studied that last year. But David doesn't have the strength to oppose his son this time. And so he calls Solomon, the one cho- his son chosen by God to be the king. And he brings Solomon and says, Solomon, this is your time to shine. David calls Solomon to himself and gives him a somber charge because David can't be king anymore. And the mission that David gives to Solomon is a mission that's given many, many times in the Old Testament. It's a mission handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, and then David gives it to Solomon as well. So let's look at it, verses 1 through 4 in chapter 2. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. 
and keep the charge of Yahweh your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that Yahweh may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So what David says to Solomon here, if you've read Deuteronomy lately, or if you've read Joshua lately, or 1 Samuel lately, it's going to sound really similar to other stuff you've heard. In fact, this is very, very close to what God told Moses to do, and then God told Joshua to do, and then Joshua told Israel to do. Let's look at a couple examples. So here's God speaking to Joshua. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So this is what God told Joshua when he took Moses' place. But then when Joshua is getting old and he's about to die, he gathers all Israel to himself and he says this in chapter 23. A long time afterward, when Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. Therefore, Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, but you shall cling to Yahweh your God just as you have done to this day. So it's the same sentiment passed on from generation to generation within the people of God, and that makes a pattern, an expectation not only of Israel, But of all the people of God, we submit to the king of Israel, King Jesus. And so the same expectation is passed down to us that the distinct people who are submitted to Israel's king have a clear job. And what's our job? To courageously obey God by establishing his kingdom on earth. And I don't mean a city state like the nation of Israel. No, we establish God's kingdom here through lives of submission to King Jesus, and by heralding the news of King Jesus. The rulership of God is lived out on earth when we obey Jesus. When we listen to the king and we do what he says, that's the will of God done on earth. That's what Jesus prayed for. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our obedience to Christ's will is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the kingdom spreading. And when we tell people about Jesus, as we proclaim to others that Jesus is Lord of the whole earth and that he invites them to kneel to him, that is also the kingdom growing. When people believe in Christ and they're filled with the Spirit, God is taking back territory on this earth as the kingdom of God spreads to the four corners of the earth. This is the task that was given to Moses and Joshua, and David, and Solomon, and all those in the royal family of God. But as you know, Israel did not succeed. They failed to take back the world for God. They failed to be distinct and to live in God's way. So what then? Jesus came. 
Jesus established this kingdom that Israel failed to establish. And like Solomon, we are on earth to carry out our divine king's wishes. So yeah, you you may not be the boss at work. You may not have any title or any recognition. But God has you on this earth to bring about his kingdom wherever you have influence to live in obedience to Jesus, to speak often of Jesus. And that's called courageous leadership. We are here to bring the whole world under the king's dominion, starting with our lives, our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. We are called to do that same work of vice regency to which Adam and Eve were called. We serve the king and we work here at his behest. And here's a thrilling part of the leadership to which you and I have been called. You're able to do it. You are able to do the leading work to which you've been called because the work of the cross was effective and because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Just ask yourself the question, did Jesus defeat your sin on the cross? Did he conquer its power in his resurrection? Was all authority in heaven and on earth given to Jesus upon his resurrection and ascension? And has he given you his Holy Spirit to make you holy as he is holy? The answer to all of those from Scripture is yes, 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 and yes. If you believe the gospel, the answer to all those questions is yes. Your sin is defeated. Any power that it has over you is an illusion that your flesh, which is dead, is holding on to. It has no power over you. And the king of all kings has filled you with the spirit of God himself. Do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? And because you are, because the cross was effective and the spirit has been given to his people, because of that, you can lead. You can submit to the rulership of Jesus in your life. Your home can be a place where Jesus is Lord and where his will is carried out. And everywhere you go, filled with the Spirit, you take the kingdom of God with you as you proclaim the name of Jesus, as you do the works of Jesus, as you turn over tables for Jesus. In Christ and by his Spirit, you have not only been called to lead in moving his kingdom forward, you can do it. Now, If we skip ahead to chapter 11 of 1 Kings, what are we going to find? Solomon fails in this charge. He fails big time. Worse than General Wilson did. And if Solomon, the wisest man to ever live besides Jesus, if Solomon failed, why shouldn't we expect the same from ourselves? Because we live on this side of the cross. The cross was effective and the spirit is strong. But here's another reason. We have Solomon's failure to learn from. And how did Solomon fail? We're going to see this throughout the next nine weeks. But like General Wilson, he was more concerned with the destination than the path to get there. Not always, but that's where he ended up tripping up. Solomon accomplished a lot during his time on the throne. His kingship really is kind of the golden era of Israel. This is like the best it ever gets. But in the process, he stops watching the path. He forgot the fundamentals. He forgot the most important, basic, unexciting things. And his feet got tripped up. We need to learn from Solomon's failure. And here's the message we learn in our text. A godly leader thinks more about the journey than the destination. You know, we can dream about God's rulership carried out on earth. We can hope for our own holiness. We can hope for our church to be pure. We can get excited about the idea of our neighbors and coworkers trusting Jesus. 
when you think about your life and, and what God has called you to do, you may have a plan in your mind. You may have a vision of what you think God wants you to accomplish on this earth as a, a, a man or woman, a boy or girl, a husband, a wife, a parent, uh, an employer, whatever roles of leadership you have, you might have a vision of success in your mind. But if we don't attend to the process that David gives to Solomon, if we don't look at the roadmap that he gives, the journey to get from here to there ain't going to happen. We're going to miss the mark. So a godly leader has to think more about the journey than the destination. What does that look like? How do we do that? Here it is. Godly kingdom leaders have to know the charge they've been given. Godly kingdom leaders walk the way with Jesus. And godly kingdom leaders apply the wisdom gained from their journey with Jesus to the charge received. That's the roadmap that I see in our text. We're going to unpack it now, starting with the first. Godly kingdom leaders know the charge that they've been given. So what was the charge that David gave to Solomon? Look again at verses 2 and 3. David says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of Yahweh your God. Walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it's written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. So what was the charge given to Solomon? It wasn't Solomon build the temple. It wasn't Solomon establish Israel. It wasn't Solomon build up Jerusalem. Solomon would do those things, but that wasn't the charge given. The charge was to walk in God's ways. He says, Solomon, keep the law. Remember the story of God's people. If you do that, David says, then whatever else you do, it'll prosper. Attend to faithfulness. That is the charge of every Christian. The charge of every Christian is to be faithful to God and his ways. We need to be less concerned about what we're going to achieve, what we're going to accomplish, and more concerned with, am I being faithful to God today in the time and place he's put me in, with the people with whom he has placed me? And David tells him how to do that. He shows him the path. And what is the roadmap to faithfulness? It actually begins with knowledge. The roadmap to faithfulness begins with knowing these three things. First, knowing what God has commanded in the scriptures knowing the examples of success and failure in the scriptures, and knowing where and when God has placed us. David tells Solomon, you're the king now, and you won't always be. Your sons are going to take over after you. So today, in this time and in this place, know the law of Moses. Know what God has commanded. Know the stories he's preserved in the law. Meditate on it day and night. See those examples of faithfulness and faithlessness and follow God's ways. We must know God's word and recognize where we have been put. God has put you where you are for a reason. It wasn't a mistake that you were born into the family into which you were born that you live at the time at which you live, that you have the people around you that are around you. God has put you here to meditate on the word of God and to live faithfully among those people and in that place. But if you are ignorant of the scriptures, you know neither what it means to lead for God nor what it means to seek his kingdom and rulership here. 
This is why at FPC we emphasize more than weekly worship. We encourage you to go to Sunday school where you can dig more deeply into the scriptures. This is why we try to equip you to read the Bible, understand it, and apply it to yourself. Because you cannot be the leader and world changer that God created you to be if you don't know his word. That's where David directed Solomon, and therefore it's where I direct you. You must know the charge you've been given, and the charge is faithfulness. And that's defined in the word of God. So a godly leader concerns himself more with the journey than with the destination. So what do we do? We hear what God's commanded. We see the stories of the leaders in Scripture, and we aim to be faithful to God in the place where he has put us, in the here and now. Godly kingdom leaders know the charge they've been given. But second, godly kingdom leaders walk the way with Jesus. When God gave his law to Moses, We have redundancy. When God gave the law to Moses, did he then leave and say, good luck, guys. I gave you the law. Be safe out there in the wilderness. No. God went with them. And when David tells Solomon to attend to God's law, he isn't saying, make sure to to follow these directions that God left behind. No. The law is an invitation to know God, to be confronted by God, and to be shown your need of a Savior. The law is an invitation to trust in Jesus and his gospel. So for Solomon to succeed as a leader, he would need to know not just the commands and the precedents in Scripture, he would need God to take the law and expose his own sin through that law. To lead well, Solomon would need to be hoping for and trusting in the future Savior. So Solomon has to be engaged not just with a book, with the Bible, but he must be relationally engaged with a saving God. So also with us. There is no kingdom leadership outside of a clear sense of our failure to keep God's law. There's no kingdom leadership outside of a saving relationship with God through Jesus And there's no kingdom leadership outside of ongoing communion with the triune God through the Spirit. So hear me loud and clear. The message of today's text is not read the law and obey it. No. The message is you have not kept the law, nor have I, nor has Solomon. We cannot do God's work on our own. Therefore, run to Jesus. As you read the law and as you see the story of the people of God, as you see the time and place where God has put you, run to Jesus. Know his forgiveness and spend time with him. Enjoy fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Sit under his direction and discipline. Enjoy his delight in you. Live in hope that he has a purpose and a direction for your life. Be with God. You see, we get confused. We think, okay, I believe in Jesus. My sins are forgiven. Now I'm going to make my plans to do great things for God. We're never the man with the plan. And sometimes the plan has nothing to do with tomorrow or with success or with anything grandiose and big. Maybe God's plan for you has to do with today. The call is faithfulness. And he who's faithful with little more will be expected of him. So how do we cultivate faithfulness? That's really what leadership looks like, being faithful today. How do we do that? Well, you have to know the word, 
And through the word, we have to spend time with God. If you're not spending time with God, you will not lead well in the capacity to which you've been called. So trust Jesus. Enjoy what Jesus has purchased for you through communion with God. So godly kingdom leadership, leading like Jesus, it doesn't happen through intentionality or by attempts to imitate Jesus. I mean, I appreciate all the driven... I love the Puritans, and I, and I love kind of how intentional those guys were. They would write down, like, these are the things I resolve to do. Our resolution does not make us godly leaders. It's knowing Jesus. It's picked up through relational osmosis by spending time with him, by drinking deeply of him in his word and in prayer. We are shaped more and more like Jesus. So hang out with God. Spend time with him, worship him, love him. And through that relationship, we become more and more like him. Therefore, we become more concerned about the journey than the destination. If our heart is fixed on knowing God, resting in Christ, living by the Spirit, the destination is going to work itself out. He will lead us in a path of Christ-likeness, which means faithfulness. He will handle the results. He'll prosper us in the ways that he wants to. Therefore, we think more about the journey than the destination. And so last, godly kingdom leaders apply the wisdom gained from their journey with Jesus to the charge received. So David gives Solomon this really meaty theological charge at the beginning of this chapter. And after that, David gets super practical. What does he say? He says, by the way, don't forget to deal with Joab. That guy's a murderer and he'll probably stab you in the back. And treat Barzillai the Gileadite with, uh, with well because he's a faithful friend. And keep an eye on Shimei the Benjaminite. I, I know I forgave him for his betrayal. Eventually, you're probably going to have to execute him, though. <laughs> and how does David tell him to do these things? He doesn't micromanage Solomon. Look at what he says in verses 6 and 9. Verse 6, he says, Act, therefore, according to your wisdom. But do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace about Joab. Verse 9. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. David tells Solomon to use wisdom. To take the truth of Scripture, to take his experience of God, the stuff he's just talked about, and to apply it to these very real situations in his life. That is the reality of godly leadership. Godly leadership means walking with God, wrestling with his word, being conformed to his image. It means doing that alongside other brothers and sisters who are doing the same. And when a problem comes up in our life, when a challenge comes up, when there's some kind of a a barrier or an opportunity, what do we do? We take the wisdom that we've learned through the scriptures and through our time with God, and we apply it to the circumstance. If you read chapter 3 this week in our reading plan, you're going to see Solomon doing that with each of these three men. He applies wisdom in each of these circumstances, his experience of God and his word, and he leads. But here's the point. A godly leader does take action but not without carefully applying the wisdom they've gained through fellowship with Jesus. So kingdom leaders operate first and foremost out of their communion with God, moderated and guided by the scriptures and kept in check by other godly brothers and sisters. A godly leader thinks more about the journey than the destination, but it doesn't mean they don't move forward. It doesn't mean that they don't take decisive action. No, we apply the wisdom we've gained from God 
We pursue the ends and destination of God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Think about yourself. I would imagine most of you adults have some inkling of what you want to achieve in this life. You have something you're pursuing, whether it be providing for your family or if you're in church office, I think of our elders of peace and purity of the church. Like you've got these, these images of success. Don't fall into the world's trap of thinking if I can concoct the perfect plan, the perfect method, the perfect technique, then my children will believe in Jesus and will serve him all, all our life. Then my company will do what I need it to do. Then my whatever, you fill in the blank. There's no technique. There's no method. There's no clear plan for success. All we're called to do is faithfulness. Attend to the scriptures. Know God. Submit to him. Be shaped into the image of Christ. And then as we go on the way, as we pursue the charge we've been given, and we see those challenges along the way, we ask the Lord, what have you taught me? How do I respond in a way that Christ would respond? How can I be faithful even in this difficult moment? General Wilson messed up. He was so excited to charge his horses ahead to Richmond to get to the destination that he forgot the people behind him. And here's the thing about our destination, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is coming. Jesus established it. The Holy Spirit is filling people as the gospel is spreading. God is taking back territory on the earth. But unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we're not going to be the ones that get to the destination. We're never getting to Richmond, folks. No, our job is to be faithful in knowing God and following God when and where he's placed us. And then to hand the baton on to the next generation. The goal is to be faithful on the road and to prepare the ones coming behind us. So do you know the charge given to you? Do you know what it looks like to be faithful to God when and where you are? Are you living in deep communion with God so that you are becoming more like Christ? Are you able to apply the wisdom you've learned from God to the challenges and opportunities on the road? Or are you getting ahead of yourself? too focused on the destination and forgetting the basics. In our results-driven world, it's easy to set the metrics of the life you want to live and the achievement you want to gain, but when it comes to God's kingdom, we can't control the results. We can only be faithful on the path. So I invite you back next week as we continue to dig further into the life of Solomon, learning more about our own call to lead in God's kingdom. Let's pray.